This city is all about sharing memories of wonderful London and that's why I'm even more excited to be working with one of my most favourite brands for this series. When I tell you that Instax are the instant photo people and their cameras and smartphone printers are super easy to use, I mean it. They are perfect because we all know that the best memories need to be captured in the moment. And I'm definitely talking from experience here because I've had an Instax camera for years and everyone who comes to visit my home, there's a rule. You must take an Instax photo and stick it in my guest book. It is one of my all time favorite things. Life is meant to be shared and I love, love, love that I've captured those moments with my friends and family forever. So whether you want to keep and treasure your pics like I do, give them away to loved ones to reminisce on a special time or one better, gift an Instax camera or printer, you can find out more at instax.co.uk. Hello, I'm Clara Ampho and welcome back to This City, the podcast where we talk to famed inhabitants of wonderful London. Each episode will delve into the past favourite places, the current favourite places, the dance spots, the food spots, the night bus stories, stories of school where we fell in love from some of our favourite famous faces, whether they were born here or adopted our capital. On this episode, I welcome on somebody who, I'll tell you what, it is hard, hard, hard to dislike. He is just a ball of energy, love, good vibes, good music and good food. I am of course talking about Big Zoo, who just does it all really. He's an incredible artist, songwriter, DJ, TV personality and this man can cook the house down. I've known Zoo, I think for about maybe three or four years now and it's always been good vibes. We've laughed together, we've cooked together and now we chat together, um, hailing from West London to the world. This is the BAFTA award winning, don't you know, uh, the lovely Big Zoo. You know what, with every episode, I'm always excited and delighted. But when I say I am so happy to have our latest guest on this city, they are a double BAFTA award-winning entity. Around the way, Guy, it is the wonderful Big Zoo. Zoo baby. I like that intro, that intro is nice. Well, listen, facts only. It's it's the intro that you deserve. How are you, my love? I'm good, you know. I'm good. I've I've been on holiday for uh, like two months, so I'm back to like life now. Two whole months away from London. Is that yeah. is that the longest you've been away from home? Just for, to chill for the past maybe like yeah since I went to like Africa with my mum when I was in secondary school. Time. So like two months away for you is that quite a scary thing to do or was that something that? felt necessary because I know some people especially in somewhere like London to get away from it for even longer than a week is like, oh my god I need the noise I need the smoke oh yeah the... yeah for me it was I was just worried about like losing out on opportunities in such a weird way I was just so like focused on like yeah I want to go away but I don't want to miss anything don't want to miss any work and I'm like that mentality is just so crazy like what am I a robot like I'm mm-hmm. even so I was like, I want to get into my like traveler mode, but I'm too bougie to backpack. So <laughs> I, I try to do a backpacking holiday with Airbnbs that are nice. <laughs> look, it's what you deserve. Uh, look, getting away from your life, I can imagine 
was quite a big decision to so take a break for two months, considering yeah. the year that you've had. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing to do. No, it, it wasn't. I guess it, it, the problem, the thing with our industry is that you can never predict when a job's gonna come in. So you kind of always gotta be unill, ready, with a fresh haircut at all times. We always have to be presentable, and I, I just feel like. I made the conscious decision. I said, this summer, I'm going to just go. And I told my management, I told all my team, I said, whatever comes in, just sack on it. So for like the past six months, I've been watching things get booked and then be told, actually, no, we can't do that because he's going on holiday. So like, it was tough, but I kind of realised I need to get out of that mentality. Like if I miss something or if I miss some work or something that worked for me at the time, it, it just means that it wasn't meant to be. You can't you can't say yes to everything in it. And I feel like, I've been doing that for the past, like, nine years. You know what, I, I'm really happy that you say that because I think we, especially in the creative industries, there's just this obsession with, like, I've got to do everything all at once, and you really don't. And I've truly learned what's meant for you is meant for you. It's really mm. okay to step away. And especially working and growing up in a place like London, like, it's, it's just non-stop hustle, isn't it? It's non-stop. Yeah. Like, I think we're all sort of, essentially, we're all sort of, uh, look, we're all cogs in a capitalist wheel. Let's just, let's keep it a buck. <laughs> we are. And to step away yeah. from it, it's, it's not, it's not, um, we're not programmed to do that, are we? Nah. And like, like I said, the biggest worry is about missing out on things. But then it's like, you're missing out on the world if you're only here all the time, working all the time. So, like, I've got friends who are in the creative industry who are like, oh, this is the first time taking a holiday in years. And it's like, that's mad. With normal people, they go away every year. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're just like, nope, must work every Sunday. <laughs> and it's not it. Okay, well, tell me this. Take me back to Little Zoo. Little Zoo. Little Zoo and your very first job in London. Very first job. Yeah. I worked I worked for a company called City Year, who are a volunteering company. They're part of the National Citizenship Service. And I just... I didn't know what to do in life, so I talked to a career advisor in my college, and she was like, You're, what are you good at? I said, I'm good at talking. She said, well, <laughs> why don't you talk to people? And I was like, miss, I'm 18. Who can I talk to? She's like, you go to a, there's this thing called City Year. Apply here. Um, you work in schools. So I worked for City Year for about six months, and I worked in a secondary school called Haggerston. Haggerston. Ah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Haggerston used to be a girls' school, but when I got there, it became mixed. So the year 11s were girls and then the rest was mixed. So it was a weird dynamic because like the yeah. year 10 boys, the year 10 boys were the oldest boys in the school. Um, so it was a weird dynamic. And I was 18 at the time. So when I was working in there, a lot of them thought they were my age mates. I had to let them know, listen, I was a teacher. <laughs> um, but yeah, worked there. And I kind of did that to get experience to go to uni um, to study youth work. So that was the plan. I had no idea that was your background. Yeah, I wanted to be a youth worker. Is that something you're still quite... Well, it is something you're still quite passionate about, though, isn't it? Working yeah, definitely. I do a lot of stuff that like align to work with young people. Like, yesterday, we, we launched a, a campaign about pensions for young people, which is super weird, but I did a rap about pensions. I had to do a media day. It was crazy, like, going around. I was doing all these interviews. They're like, why do you want young people to sign up for pensions? I said, because I just want young people to do well. They're like, that's a bit weird. I'm like, well, it's not in it, because... No one from my age group or demographic is trying to like tell young people to go get a pension 
and it just it stems from this like wanting to help people because I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. The only thing I was good at was helping. So. And growing up, like, who was the person that, like, invested in you, like, in your area? Was there somebody that you looked up to who who kind of, like, took you under their wing? Is, is it, like, yeah, who's who's that person that influenced you to be the person that, that you are? I guess it's a collection of people. We had my, we had our youth workers that worked in my school. Um, what school Chase, did you go to? St. Augustine's. St. Augustine's, it's in Kilburn. Um, there was... Jason and Nina, I think that's their names. If I got them wrong, they'll probably kill me. But <laughs> there was two youth workers that worked in my school who were incredible. Then the youth workers I used to go to actual youth clubs. So uh, big up Adam um, and Rupert from Rugby Club. That's a private youth club in, in Lambert Grove I used to go to to just write music and stuff. It was just people like that. All the youth workers that worked around me that kind of like never had an investment in me in terms of like they need me to do well because of xyz they just wanted me to do well because that's their job so i feel like that connection always made me like love them so much it's like right you are offering your time to so i can go studio or i can paint or i can play table tennis that's what you lot are literally offering your time to facilitate so I always looked up to them like they were some superheroes because I didn't have a big family structure. So for me, role models wasn't really a big thing. So when I would work with youth workers and stuff, they would kind of like become man's temporary role models for like a year. Mm-hmm. But also, do you know, I don't think people, I don't think we can emphasise just how important youth groups are, especially in big cities. Yeah. With like funding getting cut here, there, and everywhere, like they are, they are so vital for people to get their start in life, aren't they? Yeah, one million percent. It's sad to see the way funding has kind of gone down and stuff, but people like me, the reason why I am who I am is because of the access to youth clubs, like mm. being able to record music and be with different people in a different setting, um, work creatively for free um, every day after after college or after work. It was really important for me, so. Yeah, big up the youth clubs, man. What kind of kid were you when you were in Mad school annoying. and college? It's annoying. <laughs> I was annoying, tedious. I just got diagnosed for ADHD because I thought I'll finally go check if I have it. And I told my mum, yeah, mum, you know I got ADHD? She's like, yeah. <laughs> I got you, she's like, I got you diagnosed a long time ago. I said, no, you didn't. When did you? She's like, yeah. They diagnosed you when you was like eight. I said, mum. Why didn't you tell me? But my mom's African. Back in the day, it wasn't as accepted. So she's like, yeah, I've known this whole time. I was like, well, all them times I was getting in trouble for talking, maybe we could have taken out my certificate that says I have ADHD. But we didn't do that. So I used to get in a lot of trouble for speaking and being loud. Yeah, but you've made it into it. You've transferred it into a skill, you know? Yeah. Talk to me about your, about your sweet mother. Um, look, she gets a lot of big ups all the time. Yeah. Um, I loved your speech. Obviously, I was there this, the, the night you won your, not one, but two BAFTAs. That was, honestly, what 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 an incredible night. I mean, I won one too. Don't want to go on about it. Come like, on, <laughs> come on, G. Come on, G. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, you won two that night. And, I, and look, I, I'm sure it gets repeated all the time, but your speech was I think it was the speech of the night. Thank you. And I Thank quote, "Was it if it was if us three waste? Is it, what was it? Yeah, if us three waste man can win a BAFTA, surely you, you can do anything." Well, that 
which I think was pretty amazing. I remember, I remember you spoke about um, your mother and like how she came over like yeah. to London and like you know set up a new life, set up a new life, you know, to give you what you have now. Um, yeah. Did your mum talk to you about what it was like for her, like kind of arriving in London for the first time? Oh yeah, we we we've we've got. The older I get, the more I get into the story because I feel like my mum always had this like safety blanket over me to not kind of know what she went through when she came here. But obviously, Sierra Leone was, Sierra Leone was in a rebel war. My mum was dating my dad, who's Lebanese, but then my mum comes from a black family. So when my mum started dating my dad, her, my dad's parents were like, listen, you, whatever's going on with this little Sierra Leonean woman, you lot can't, you lot can't do it in the house. You can't stay in the house. So when the war started, my mum couldn't stay with my dad. Then... My mum was pregnant with me. So my dad said, listen, don't go home. Because obviously things were tough. Where, where my granddad lived from my mum's side, it was very scary. So my mom, so basically my mum and my dad came to the decision. They were like, you go abroad. And then my dad said, I'll do what I need to do and then I'll come meet you. So my mum ends up getting a visa to come England, comes over. My mum can't speak no English. Um, she has no family here. Uh, I think she had like one friend that lived in Victoria. We stayed with them when my mom first came here when she was pregnant. Then she had me. And it's it just the first few years of my life were kind of like my mom trying to get her stay because no one told my mom, if you have a son that's British, you can stay in England. No one told her that. So my mom started doing bare things to try and get her stay. Like all the stuff that, African people was doing back in the day to try and get their stay in England. My mum was running trip. My mum probably won't appreciate me sharing this right now, but hey, your son is a celebrity. Hey. So that's how it goes. Um, nah, she 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 knows what it is. I, I, it's inspiring because, you know, she she went through a lot. And then I think by the time I was three, four, she kind of learned that, oh, wait, you know, I, I have my stay because my son is British and they're not going to kick out his mother. So that, that first kind of three, four years of my life was that kind of saga. Got our stay... Um, was in temporary housing a lot. And I think for my mum, the main thing was that while this was all happening, she broke up with my dad, left her family, started a new life in Africa. So my mum went through so much stuff at the age of 26, 27, the age that I am now. And it's like, I, I it's just it's just how strong she is, I will never be able to understand. Especially in a time where single parents, you know, it was just after Margaret Thatcher, Single parents were looked down upon, frowned upon. Um, I started. I went school in Marlebone with like hella posh white kids that the the school didn't understand how my mum like was taking. People used to like see me, and my mum, and be like, "Oh, who's who is that? Like your are you taking care of that kid? Are you a carer or something?" They never used to believe that I was my mum's son because I'm That's very light wild. as well. I know it's weird. Hello. That's wild. I, yeah, I guess that must have been such a culture shock to you as well, like being put in a school like that. Were you like a class joker? Did, were you able to fit in? Even though obviously these people weren't your people, quote unquote. Yeah. Were you, were you able to fit in? Were, you, were like? Yeah, for sure. My, my primary had a little mix. It was definitely in Marlebone in a very beautiful area, but it's also on the other side of Edgeware Road. So there was a couple of youths that come. There was a little bit of diversity but like there was a lot of posh people that lived in Marlborough as well. So it's weird. I remember growing up, going to primary school and I could speak really good English. My English was proper. I used to pronounce my T's. I used to say, I remember my teacher used to, wouldn't let us go to the toilet. If I, I used to put my hand up, Miss, can I go to the toilet? 
She'd be like, no. I'd be like, why? Because she, she never said the. That's the kind of school I went to. Right. Yeah. Like, you have to say, can I go to the toilet? So I used to have this mad, I could speak mad posh, but then I live in the end. So when I stay, when I meet my friends around my area, we're speaking slang. So I remember going to school in like year four, year five, and I was saying, I was saying, well, guan blood. And my teachers were like, no, you can't do this. This is, the, no. And they told my mum, they was like to my mum, your son is speaking a lot of slang. And we're really worried. And my mum was, my mum got really upset at the slang I started speaking. And I remember that just being a big thing. And I was like, it was so weird because I would be like, hello, hi guys, welcome, blood. <laughs> but I think, do you know what? That to me is the epitome of the phrase, like there really is two Londons within one. Yeah. It's so perspective uh, dependent. Because even like, you know, sadly, like when Grenfell happened, you know, how, the, how on earth did that happen in the richest borough? Mm in the whole of England. And it's just like, by crossing one street, you see the difference in how yep. people are living. And it's yep. it's it's wild. And, and what you explain, like, you know, being in school is, is such an example of that. Yeah, one million percent. It's that juxtaposition of like, rich and poor. And mm. like, I guess for me, when I was going to my first primary school, it was good for me because I went to a primary school that was like, really nice, a lot, lot of great people. But it was weird, like everything that was going on back home, in terms of like the stress that my mum was going through, all the stuff that we was going through, um, just being a refugee in this country, I would go to school and it was just kind of like you'd forget about all of it. So by the time I got to secondary, I was secondary in Kilburn, not the best school in the world, very diverse, a lot of like, not a lot of rich people that live in nice houses. I went to that, I got there and I was like, damn, everyone's just as fucked as me. <laughs> <laughs> So it was kind of weird going to secondary school because it's like, rah, no one speaks good English. Everyone speaks slang. And you, wait, you lot all got similar, even maybe even worse situations than me. Like in my primary, I was like, yeah, you lot are, you lot are chilling. But then when I got to secondary, I was like, rah, maybe it's not just me, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but, I, but look, we, community is what makes it, is what makes the city great. And I think... I'm happy that you were able to, even though, even though scholastically the school may not have been the best, I'm happy that you were able to land somewhere you found your people, essentially. Oh, one million percent. One million percent. St. Augustus made me who I am. And yeah. it, Tubbs, I met Tubbs in Hyder there. And now we have a cooking show together. Um, big, I need to call my teacher. My teacher was calling me yesterday. She wants me to come do some stuff for them. I, I, stay, I stay in touch with them because I definitely know that in that little corner of Kilburn, in that rubbish set up school that's definitely changed a lot now I've got a lot more money put into it but at the time when we went there it was terrible they really made us they tried their hardest mm-hmm. you know they tried and them teachers we used to stress them out but you know they're normal human beings and they they, they kind of sacrificed their I think they just sacrificed a lot for, for, for people that are going to move on and probably forget their name <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think the older you get, and like when you think about your school days, like it's so funny because at one point in time, you would have known ev- the name of every single kid in your class. You yep. would have known the name of every single teacher, and then some years later, you're just like, oh, God, what was, what were they called again? Chess. It's 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 really bizarre, isn't it? It's really bizarre. Um, talk to me about teenage zoo out and about. So you get uh... your first taste of freedom, like you're 16 to 18. 
what kind of teenager were you like in and around town? What were you getting up to? I was, me and my boys were just very normal youths. We weren't like, we, because we come from the ends, man had that spectrum of, yo, that's the man them that are doing the mad things that are like, doing stuff that's very legal that you don't want to get involved in. Then we had the spectrum of the other youths who were like, that's the neeks, those are the boys that are not getting involved. You're not a bad man. We were like in the middle. We were like, kind of out here, but also love doing like normal human being stuff. So me and my friends would be in the ends all the time. People like people would see us in the ends and be like, oh, that's the little youths. Like, but we had a lot of fun. All we cared about was laughing, smiling, just laughing, having fun. We used to smoke a lot of weed in the block <laughs> um, until one day. So I used to chill with um, AJ a lot in Labour Grove. For full context, dear listener, we're talking about Mr. Tracy, live and direct, etc. Et yeah. yeah. And one day we were chilling in the block when we was at like 17 and he looks at all the mandem and he goes, mandem, no lie, I'm not doing this no more. We're like, well, what's wrong with you, bro? He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, listen, I got a house. Why are we here? Why are we in this block just billing it? Let's like, why don't we do, why don't we go to the warm? And he, and we was all looking at him like, Chase, come lie, man. It's the block, like, this is, this is what we do every day. Um, he was like, and then he goes, why don't you come to my house? We all look at each other like, are you sure you want us to come to, like, what, what are we going to do in your house? He's like, you can smoke in my yard. We all look at each other, we're like, what? We could build it in your house. He's like, yeah. You know where, where most of us are ethnic and, you know, man's mum don't even know I smoke. So oh, like, yeah. take your shoes off. There's plastic to yeah, the sofa. Very exactly. Loud. Whereas Tracy, his mum, is is British, and she used to be a youth worker. Well, she, she, at the time she was a youth worker. She was a very big youth worker in Brixton. So she almost opened her house to us like a youth club. So we ended up starting chilling. Tracy's house became a hub for us, and then that was kind of where we. We, we was already doing music here and there, like studio, etc. Et but then when we got to Chase's house, every day, all we would do, sit there, write music. So that's that's the sort of nucleus of where it all began. Yeah, it was the block first. Yeah. Because we was freestyling in the block, met Tracy. He was like, yo, you're cold. I'm like, well, you're, you're cold. Like, we both started, he's been spitting for a long time. I just started. So he, we was kind of like motivating each other because I had a man them. We was the ones that were cold. Yeah, once he's that, I'm never forget. It. He just stood up in the block one day and said, "No, nah, I'm not doing this no more. We're going mine." And then when we went to his, you know, you're in the warmth now. You can get a juice <laughs> on the fridge. We stopped. We stopped living like cavemen in the roads and kind of like elevated a little bit. And then that, I think that's what made us. That's what made us kind of like start planning and looking forward to like, okay, wait, we're doing this music thing, but how do we actually like do stuff with it? And then we used to use his house as like sit there all day plan stuff, write songs, think of ideas, and then, yeah, and then the rest is history. Do you remember the very first time you, you performed, like, in London, or your very first gig, the, the very first thing that you did, you thought, tell people, come see me this time, I'm going to be on stage. I can't remember the exact first time I ever performed, but I can remember two things. I did a show in the ICA, which is on... Um, it's on the Mall, yeah. It's on the Mall, near yeah. the Queen, R.I.P. Um and I I remember performing there and I'm like, yo, this is bougie. It's a nice little institution of cultural arts. I was like, okay, if that's what it stands for, I hope it stands for that. Um, but we did a boiler room and I came out and I, and I came out and I performed the one lyric I had that was doing well. And it went crazy, got a wheel up. And I was like, whoa, this is nice. 
It's a good feeling. Um, had a lot of support for the lads that day. And then after that, I remember doing my headline show in Birthdays, which is now a oh, brew dog. Oh, we love birthdays. Which is now a brew dog. I know. In, TVT. In Boston. Oh, my God. Had but some fun nights at birthdays. That's what I'm saying. I did my mm. first headline there, sold it out, and that's the best show I've ever done in my life. Probably. One of. One of. That birthday show, because I put on my EP... Never really see how people really took it in. I put on my EP and I did the show like two weeks after. So I didn't even give them a long time to learn the songs or whatever. And I got there and I remember just performing one song called Manual. Never had a video. First time ever performing it. And everyone knew the lyrics. I was like, rah, this music thing actually works. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. I, yeah, Birthdays was beautiful still. Birthdays. Who doesn't love the gift of an amazing memory? I love making this podcast because everyone enjoys a good reminisce. And I'm being honest when I say I am thrilled to be working with Instax on this series. An Instax camera or smartphone printer is such a great gift for anybody. So easy to use with three different film sizes, mini, square or wide. And each has its own look and feel. From the colourful Mini 11 to the retro classic design of Mini 40, they are the perfect accessory for every social event in your calendar this holiday season. So don't just take, give. Head to instax.co.uk to find out more. Now, talk to me about your journey with food in the city. I'm very intrigued because yeah. obviously, you know, look, music as we know, it's not easy. Like, you've done incredibly well for yourself and will continue to do incredibly well for yourself. Music, you. music isn't easy, but I'd say arguably being good at food, because <laughs> I see new restaurants open and close every day. People say, yep. I'm launching this food business every day. Then, I don't know, six months later, it's done. Your journey into, like, into food, like with London, talk to me about that, because I'm, I'm so intrigued as to... How, I, I guess, how it happened? Well, I, my mum always inspired me to cook. And when she was pregnant, I started cooking to help around the house. And it, so it's linked with, like, everything we've been speaking about. Cooking at home, big part of, like, African culture. Mm. Then, like, my secondary school that I went to, St. Augustine's, I took catering. So I learned how to cook, like, basic skills, how to make, like, a pizza, macaroni, spaghetti. Hella Italian stuff. I don't know why it's all Italian. But I guess that's what we love as kids. So by the time I was 16, 17, when we was going Trace's house, it's mad how it all links, it's so weird. When when we started going to Trace's house, we would buy chicken cottage every day because he lived <laughs> at Chicken Cottage. So one day I'm like, lad, why don't the man them give me the money you lot are spending on this cottage? I'll go Sainsbury's and I'll cook. How about that? And the first time they weren't really on it, Eventually, I convinced them, and I remember cooking in Trace's mum's kitchen, and she come down, Julia, she called Julia, she come down, she's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm cooking them at dinner. They're all upstairs in the living room, FIFA, chilling. I'm downstairs. I'm all 16. Like, why are you cooking for your man then? But it's because I saw it as a way to, like, one, save money, two, have better food, and three, I just loved cooking. So... Started cooking for the lads. That was my speciality. I make macaroni, cheese, and wings. Um, two twos now. 
I get a job in Nando's when I'm like 18. That kind of like, I got a job in Brewer Street, Nando's. So right in central. Belly of the beast, Soho. Yeah, and I remember, may you rest in peace, Jamal Edwards came in to have dinner in that Brewer Street. And this one, I just I was just doing music these times. So I've cooked his order and I've told the waiter, let me take it to his table. I'm the griller, so I'm in the back. So I'm all covered in chicken. I'm not really supposed to do that. But I've come out and I gave him his chicken. And I was like, brother, one day we're going to do some stuff. And he looked at me like, bro, just give me my chicken, man. You're talking about do stuff. Give me my chicken, <laughs> and I kid you not, a couple months later, I hit him on Snapchat. And I, ne- I never told him, yo, I'm the chicken guy. But I hit him on Snapchat and... Um, he eventually, after a couple, like maybe like two two years of going back and forth, he put me on. He put me on the channel. He recorded me. We did my warm up freestyle, and that's one of my biggest freestyles today. Yeah. And you know what? That that really puts such a lovely smile on my face because I think, a that is so that's such a testament to Jamal's self belief. Yeah. Mantra. The fact that you had the balls to go up to him whilst you were serving him his food whilst he was just trying to enjoy his meal, and you were like, "Boy." You're gonna you're gonna know this name. Yeah, hundred percent. And then two years later, you got you got to work with each other. And I think, yeah, I just oh, I really love that story. Yeah, it was it was a it was it was a cute moment. And what's crazy is that when Jamal filmed my warm up, he came and linked me in Central, and we filmed it in his office. And I remember him when we finished filming, he met um, Oswald Boateng outside Oswald's house, and I remember Oswald having this conversation. He saw Jamal. He was like, "Yo!" doing all this mad handshake and hugging. When he's left, Jamal's like, Google that guy's name. Google him. Lara, very important black man. And I remember watching that two, them two have a convo and I was like, two important black men doing incredible things. One's making suits for a barman and that. And Jamal, you're here on road filming me spit bars. I was like... <laughs> But the love that Oswald is showing you, you're just as powerful as Oswald. And it kind of gave me this surreal moment of looking at Jamal. I looked at Jamal in a different light at that moment. I looked at him like, you're really on the streets, like doing this work, but you are plugged in in another level in terms of like who you are. And mm. I like I never saw that up until that moment, like two powerful black creatives just chopping up in the street and it, it gave me it gave me so much inspiration I'll never forget that moment I was like I need to get a suit from Oswald you know what I'm saying <laughs> well I know you can afford one now honey maybe 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 it's a <laughs> well look I, I guess when it comes to paying it forward and putting back into community and also just serving your own interests like have you got a desire to open up a food a permanent food spot in London do you know what it is Londoners are, are tough when it comes to food yeah like if I was to open a joint, I know everyone would judge it. It'd be so critical. So I know I've got to do it. Either I don't care, like this is what we make. Whether we like it or not, I don't care. Or <laughs> i got to cater and turn it into... The problem with food business is it's either business or you do it because you love it. And I'm going to do it because I love it. But i I got some things to do first before you know I do kitchen nightmares, have Gordon Ramsay come into my restaurant. Throwing <laughs> plates on the floor and stuff. Or putting two sides of bread on your head and calling yeah. you an idiot sandwich. <laughs> oh, I'm not ready to be an idiot sandwich, my friend, no. Sorry, um, sorry, Gordon. All right, well, then talk to you about your most memorable meals, like, in, in the city, besides ones that you used to cook for AJ and the, and the lads. Memorable meals. Um, Mason Bab. Maison Bab. It's in Covent Garden. Um, just an incredible restaurant. Incredible vibes. Um, we filmed Big Eats in there. 
and they have this like downstairs kitchen that you gotta go through the you go through the kitchen and then it opens and it's this secret bar back 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 in the restaurant. I was like, this is like the coolest thing I've ever ate in my life. So Mason, what else would I say? There's one called Lebanese Grill. It's in South London. They only take cash, and it's always Love a that. queue. And going to eat there because like you you have to eat there late night. That's the best place to eat in the night. It's like a it's like you are taking a risk, my friend. You go there. It's on Old Kent Road. Bare man outside the shop, but you're all here. I feel like it's a neutral zone. I feel like pagans, people that hate each other, can come there. And there's no there's like a white flag, no beef because we're all here for some chicken, bro. So. <laughs> I've gone there and it's tense. That's why you're an artist as well. No beef because we're all here for some chicken. Come on, oh look at look at us. <laughs> but now, nah, um, Lebanese Grill. If you've never heard of it, and you want some late night food and you're in South London, Lebanese Grill. They've opened one in Hatton Garden as well because it's just so good. But no, no card, cash only. Noted. So you're ah oh, see, Zoo. I feel like you should give the people what they want, but I get it. Like right. to start to start a business. And to do your own spot. Because it would be popular, I'm just saying. No, 1 million percent. I will do it in the future. I just feel yeah. like, you know, with stuff like that, if it's not good, everyone is really upset. They're like, I went to that big zoo joint and it's not it's not quite hitting. Like, I don't want anyone to ever say that about my food. I want people mm-hmm. to go there and be like, this is the greatest restaurant in the world. And the only way to do that is with experience and time and, you know... A lot of restaurants, like you said, you said it earlier, they close, they open, they close, they open. You'll see a joint on your high street rebrand 15 times in like four years. So I want to do Joloff, but I don't know if the people are ready. Now, I'm a Ghanaian woman. Yeah. You know that our Joloff is exceptional. It's good Joloff. Ghanaian Can Joloff is great. you, on record, on this podcast, just confirm... That it is the best out of all. No. Why? No. Why not? Because I'm from Sierra Leone. But we're, S- we're, Sierra we're, we're Leone. Na- but we're neighbours, so. Yeah, we're neighbours. But Sierra Leone, do you know what it is? We have less money, smaller country, more time on our hands. So we cook more than you guys. Sorry. You guys use all like blender and stuff. My mum does use a blender. She does love it. There we go. Which African auntie... In Africa, is really blending. They might got no electricity, cuz. Sierra Leone, we got electricity three hours a day, and it's sporadic, so you don't know. The three hours might all come at 9 to 12 in the morning. You don't <laughs> even know we got electricity in the yard. We ain't got no blender. So, I can't lie. Ghanaian Joloff is very sweet, I'm not going to lie, but I'll always have to stand up. That's great. Producer Amy, we'll just, we'll just edit the rest of everything else. Yeah, yeah thank we'll you. Just, we'll just thank cut you, to that. We'll just you. cut to that. Um, I want to talk to you about going clubbing, actually. There's a few bits we'll get to. Obviously, we're going to chop and change. Uh, I want to talk about you going raving. Do you remember the first club you went to? Yeah, Ministry of Sound, UTR. I was 14. Give me, Tell me more. I want to know. UTR, Ministry of Sound, they used to do this thing um, called Under the Radar. And I, used, I loved grime growing up, so... JME and that was performing. So I went there, I was 14, and I stood front, and I was at the front in his grill. Like my leg, my head is next to your foot kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like if you kick by accident, you might knock me out. Um, Yeah, just there, gun fingers, spitting all the bars, looking up like. Do you know what's mad? There's a video of me online. And when Jamie's performing in the crowd, I am there. Staring at him, 
sit, sit, spitting every single lyric. I've showed it to him before, and he looks at he he looks at me, he's a bit creeped out. He's like, he's a little bit over the top, but um, you know, I've worked. I'm on his album. Oh yeah, I remember you guys performed on on my show. Yeah, we like we've done we've done like me and him are just like man them like we've done so much stuff and sometimes I look back and I'm like oh, I really was number one fan fanboy like on some stand ish. You know what I'm no, it wasn't scary, but also, do you know what? I, I, I'm I really not here for people policing their own joy. I think if you're excited to be somewhere and you're excited to meet somebody, as long as you're being respectful, why not express it? Especially, look, I think our industry, people can be quite stush and be a bit too afraid to say, hey, I'm a fan. I really loved what you did. It's really okay to like express that. Yeah, 1 million percent. But when I was, when I was young, that's the first race I was going to. Bigger Fish, UTR. Oh my um, God, bigger fish. I, I didn't go uni out of London. So when I went to uni, I never had to go in like mad. What's the, what's that club that's in every single city? Prism. Like, like, right, right. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Prism and that, like an egg in, in King's Cross and all these things. And I, nah, I went on it and my man then don't drink. So it was like done. It was done. So... By the time when I was 18 and I could finally go out, no one was on. No one was on it. We were just like, I'm like, where are we going? They're like, ah, don't know. So I didn't really do the clubbing thing properly until I got a bit older. Then I was like, oh, this is what a club's like. And okay. a clutter table and buying a bottle. Ah, oh, pain. Were you, were, you a bit, were you a bit of a ladies' man back in the day, babe? Woo! No, I was in a long relationship. I was in a long relationship. Um, on and off, on and off, but. I was with my ex from when I was like 18 till about like 24. But, you know, we had we've had some stints here and there. Um, but I was with it for a long time. It was long. Bloody hell. Yeah, but you know what? Respect for sustaining a relationship because it's hard. I guess with your position right now, look, Zoo, you're a very loved, popular guy. You've got TV shows here, then everywhere. You've got a lovely online presence. Again, two BAFTAs. We don't want to go on about it, but let's, yeah, let's go on about it. How is it for you going back into your area? And do you still get public transport? Is it quite is uh, is it quite difficult for you now to go? <laughs> Are these the questions we're going with? Ah, uh, um, do you still get public transport? We've had varied answers I, on okay. this podcast. So I will take the train. Don't like I'll take the train to Manny. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I I can't lie. I've recently stopped taking the underground. I used to take the underground every day. I used to take a cab. I live in Golders Green. Oh, I love Golders Green. I take a cab to the station and then I get my train. So that's how normally I would like get to Central. But recently, I can't lie. It's been, I've just been cabbing. Like a lot of jobs I get, they pay for it. They pay for my cab. Normally, ask the man them. Every day, there's somehow an Addison D outside the house knocking the door. Where is, where is Big Zoo? That's what they normally do. <laughs> And going back to my area, I do go back to my area quite a lot. I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of love in the hood, but I've never been a guy that's like, I've never been anti. I've always been positive. I've always spread a good message. So whenever I go back to the hood, now I get a lot of love from like people who are like, yo, you're doing it for us. You're like, just proud that I come from there, innit? So that's your nice way of telling me that you don't get the tube anymore. <laughs> yeah. I would though. Like, yeah, I'm not like bougie, like, uh, nah, but the bus, maybe that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I get, no, I, I, I get it. Yeah, do you know, another thing that always comes up on this, the night bus, it's a rite of passage for a lot of people. Yeah. Do you have any gnarly night bus uh, stories? 
Really uh, fun about stories. Oh, not, not for a long time. Do you know what? I'll tell you one thing. Bus and train, growing up, that's where I wrote all my lyrics. Everything I wrote lyrically was on the bus or the train. Going home in the night from Tracy's, I used to take the 52 all the way home. It used to take like 40 minutes to get home because I lived in Victoria. So when I would take the train or take the bus, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy with the headphones on who's, who's singing loud on the train. Not caring about anyone around. I'm there like, it's you. It's me. It's definitely, I'm that guy. And I'll, I'm like spitting my lyrics uncomfortably in the corner. You got the, you got the people like, like, excuse me, bro. I'm trying to be on the train. I'm trying to train. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, but I'm weird. Like, I'm the kind of person, like, if you're on the train, I'll talk to you. That's, do you know what? Considering the reputation, and let's just be honest, Londoners are very friendly, but also there's that thing of if you stare at somebody, I think outside of maybe four seconds on any sort of public transport, it's always like, what the fuck are they looking at? What's, yeah, this is, what do you want? But you, you will actually talk to people engaging for a long conversation. But the reason why I've kind of stopped going on a chain is because like I get on a chain and people are just staring at me and I'm like, this is a bit uncomfortable. But I'm I'm easy. Like I'll talk to you. Like if, if I see someone's like clocked who I am, I'll be like, "Hi, how you doing? You alright?" And it's on the train. It's kind of weird because you can't go anywhere. So if they are a bit weird, I have to endure the <laughs> whole journey. So that's why I've kind of stopped the train thing. But like, be like the train, yeah. You're never too big to go on the train. Never, ever, nah. ever, 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 nah. ever. And the train is too quick, and it's too, it's, especially when it's not packed, and you sit next to the window. And you get that breeze from the rest of the train. Great moments. That's main character stuff. That's main character yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay, my final thing. If you were in charge, if you could change anything about London at this point in time, what would it be? More late night food spots. Late night food. It, it, we're dying for it here. It's, it's just not, we just don't have that culture. I guess because we don't have that foot traffic in the night, you know, things aren't popping. London's big. But, more late night quality as well. I don't want to have just everyone eating um, peri-peri, you know, roosters. I don't want everyone oh to Oh my gosh, have... roosters. That's all my... <laughs> but late night, that's all I eat. Chicken and rice with the garlic sauce. I would love to be able to have like more late night food spots. And also, I think rich people should be accountable for what's going on in their area. So I feel like if you're a rich person and you live in an area that's got that juxtaposition, that's got like poverty within it, I feel like they should be res responsible, like their tax bill should go towards creating opportunities for people in the area. And if you don't like it, move to France. And that is a word. Big Zoo, merci. <laughs> merci beaucoup. C'est bon, oh, c'est bon. Thank you so much for your time, my love. Gang. This was a delicious chat. No, pun half intended. Actually, fully intended. Love that. Thank you so much for listening to The City. And if you liked it, don't forget, you can tell your mates or one better. If you visited any of the spots we talked about and have a story, let me know on socials. Remember, you can like, rate and subscribe in all the usual podcast places. See you next time.